what people do not talk about is if you have too much NADH from not fasting, from eating excessively, snacking all the time, overeating, not moving, you know, drinking soda, your body has all that sugar. Remember sugar makes, glucose makes NADH. So if glucose cannot become NADH, where's it going to go? I am a woman on a mission that is dedicated to teaching you just how powerful your body was built to be. I like to do that by bringing you the latest science, the greatest thought leaders, and applicable steps that help you tap into your own internal healing power. The purpose of this podcast is to give you the power back and help you believe in yourself again. My name is Dr. Mindy Pels, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Okay, Resetters, on this episode of the Resetter Podcast, we have Dr. Ben Lynch. And if you're not familiar with Dr. Ben Lynch, he's written a book called Dirty Genes, and he is one of the leading experts on epigenetics. Epigenetics is the study of how we can use our lifestyle to overcome our genetic profile. And it's fascinating. And what you're going to learn in this episode is the nutrients, the toxins, the lifestyle behaviors that we need to add in or avoid in order to be able to turn genes on and turn genes off. And one of the fascinating things that we discuss in this episode is he actually looks at my genetic profile. He has a test called a Stratagene, and the Stratagene will look at functional genes. And he showed me how I actually, my genetics helps me make dopamine very quickly which is very excitatory. Anybody who knows me thinks this is pretty hysterical. But what he said is that I don't have the gene to be able to get rid of dopamine, which affects me in the way that I can't always calm myself down, which also people who know me find hysterical. So he, we talk about the nutrients that you can take to affect those genes, the lifestyle behaviors, what you need to avoid. This is an incredible episode. Dr. Ben Lynch, if you want to know how to overcome your genes, this is the episode for you. Hey, Resetters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the Academy, and I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My Academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. 
and my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you, and I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy. Excited to see you there. What I find fascinating about your book is the Agouti Mouse story, because that really caught my attention as well. Now, you took the Agouti Mouse study, and you it transformed what you your career and what you looked at. So yep. um, can we talk, let's start with why that study was so pivotal. Um, prior to that, the only person I'd ever talk, heard talk about epigenetics was Bruce Lipton, Exactly. Um, yeah. So let's bring our resetters up into what the heck the Agouti Mouse study was and why did that change our opinion on genetics? Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and so, you know, we, we grew up with the belief that family history was a big, big deal. And it is. Um, you know, you're, you're told that your grandpa was an alcoholic and, you know, I'm an alcoholic and now you're going to be an alcoholic. And you know, so-and-so died of breast cancer and so did your aunt and so did your, you know, your great grandma. And so you're thinking, okay, well, what, what am I next? And so all this mindset around genetics is, is what we, we all thought. And um, my first quarter, first year in med school, I was introduced to Dr. Bruce Lipton's work and I, I never sit in the front row in the class, but that was the day where I just sat glued to that TV. And it was, it was a primer for me about how our perception of the environment influences how our genes turn on and off. And that was just like, whoa, but it was, it was, whoa. And it, it made sense, but it didn't really strike home. Um, Cause he just talked about it generally mm-hmm. when Dana talked about it in her Nova um, well, in her research that was presented on Nova, she said she basically took, you know, goody mice who, which were genetically susceptible and programmed for cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and cancer. I mean, they are genetically built to get these things. So researchers could then, you know, do treatments to see which drugs support diabetes, which drugs supports cancer, and so on. So they're, they're built for big pharma to do their research on, and which is great. And Dana had a thought. She goes, well, all right, they're genetically primed for going into these things these three major uh, health problems the, the whole world struggles with. How about I just change their feed, their nutrient, and see if they go on through life and get those things. Once we presented it to the, to the main uh, researcher, the head of the researcher, he was like, yeah, well, sure, whatever. And, and so she ch- added some folate, some B12, and, some other, and some, maybe some choline and some other things. And these mice went on to not get cardiovascular disease, diabetes, or cancer. And it was like, what? 
you're, you're, you're programmed to have these three things or one of these three things at least. And they went on to get none of them. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that video uh, that I saw from Nova, you can Google it, Tale of Two Mice, Nova, and you'll still see it. Um, it's still good. Um, and uh, she goes, well, it's too early to tell what to do with this information. And we don't have the drugs necessary yet to support this uh, type of technology. But I was like, what are you talking about? All you did was introduce nutrients. That's right. it. You did the work already, Dana. Um, so I've tried getting her on, interviewing mm. her multiple times, and I can't. She won't come on? Mm-mm. No. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, um, you know, I'm just guessing here. You know, maybe she's, you know, she, even though she used nutrition, she can't believe that nutrition is that powerful. Maybe she doesn't understand the, the nutrition components behind it, but as she does to some degree. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's time. Maybe she's moved on from that study. Maybe there's conflict within the lab or the research. You know, she can't talk about it. Who knows? You know, yeah. it's, I can theorize. Do you think there is a big pharma piece to that? Because if we have a genetic uh, predisposition yes. for something and we get yes. put on and we get sque- scared and told that we're going to get this, we're more motivated to get on medication than yeah. to change our life. And then who, who funds a lot of these studies? Yeah. Right. And so th- honestly, that was the first thought that came in my mind. I just didn't say it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's um, okay. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's, it's really important to put that out because it was a phenomenal study. And if she's shy, there's, my guess is there's a, there's a financial reason there. Yeah. And it, who knows, you know, who knows, but you know, big pharma is a player in everything that we're doing these days, unfortunately. And, yeah. uh, you know, so so, okay. So out of that study, so that at that point, that was like 2007, 2006, so yeah. talking yeah. like 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. So we had Bruce Lipton saying that our thoughts would change our genes. And then we had that study saying your nutrition can change our genes. Mm-hmm. So what have we learned since that time? Like how, how do we look at genetics? And when I say we, I probably should separate out that you know, the natural healing world and the pharmaceutical healing world are yes. looking at this quite differently. Yeah, I am very frowned. My work is extremely frowned upon by, uh, I think it's called ACMG or something, the American College of Medical Geneticists or, you know, genetic counselors or whatever they're called. Um, and uh, no disrespect to, to their work. I mean, you, you need to have genetic counselors for genes like, you know, cystic fibrosis and Down syndrome and and, um, you know, celiac disease and hemochromatosis and, and on and on, you know, there's a lot of heavy things out there that you need to understand how the genes are working in for disease, causative genetic, you know, mutations, right. And down syndrome is a touchy situation to, to talk about, you know, cause down syndrome kids and, and adults can do very well in life. Um, you know, almost all populations who are born with certain genetic serious conditions can actually do very well as long as the rest of their genes are clean and functioning. Um, it's just, you know, they're very, very susceptible. Um, so genetic counselors have their job, but genetic counselors look at genetic variations or mutations that are disease causing period. They look at MTHFR uh, or NOS3 or COMT or DAO or any other 
gene that I look at as insignificant because they are not associated with specific diseases. Mm-hmm. You know, they associate BRCA1 as a breast cancer gene. I don't look at BRCA1 like that. I look at BRCA1 as not being able to do his job as a, as a, you know, as a sensor for damage and then triggering NERF2 and other glutathione genes to, to step up and, and protect against damage. You know, they just look at it as breast cancer related. So this whole field of genetics is everywhere. It's drug pharmacokinetics. If someone is given warfarin in a hospital for an acute situation, their ability to metabolize warfarin might be very slow. And so if they give a standard amount of warfarin to someone's, you know, warfarin metabolism being very slow, they can bleed out and die quickly. And that just happened to a friend of mine's grandmother. Mm. They didn't do genetic testing on warfarin, prescribed warfarin, she bled out. Wow. You know, so that is something that should be done before warfarin is ever prescribed to any patient doing warfarin studies on pharmacokinetics. Then you have... Um, genetic counseling and, and family planning kind of screening for before you even get pregnant, you know, for the, you know, future mother and future father to look at the sperm and the egg and see which, you know, or just their general genetics to see if they're going to, you know, what are the odds of them passing on cystic fibrosis or hemochromatosis or whatever else. That to me is very defeating because if your odds are one in a million to get cystic fibrosis or one in 50,000, you know, you still cannot do anything to prevent that. So now you're going to an impregnancy with fear mm-hmm. instead of, you know, love and empowerment and excitement and yep. nurturing your, your entire pregnancy. You're scared. That's not good for the womb. Nope. So then you have, you know, folks like me who are looking at genetic variations that are extremely common in the population that have known functional consequence of, of adjusting how that gene functions making it either function faster or function slower, but they're not known to cause disease, but they are known to affect the function of the gene, which can either increase or decrease susceptibility in various conditions. And if you do that, when you're really trying to optimize the health of someone or someone is really struggling their whole life or or, later on, when you know which genes you have, which are modifying or modified in how they express due to various things, you can take targeted, targeted specific actions and make lifestyle changes, food changes, supplement changes, medication changes, knowingly, no guessing, knowingly to improve the function of those particular genes. And it works and it's phenomenal. It sounds to me like the way we look at labs, you know, if you walk into your medical doctor, they either are healthy or you have disease. There's no in between. Correct. Or so you're not I, sick enough. Right. So what I'm hearing is that you've taken gene, un, the understanding of genes, and you're in that, fu- it's like functional genes. You're in, yes. the, in that area of how do we use it to change our lifestyle. Exactly. It's empowering. The work that I do is empowering. Yeah. It's, it's, it shouldn't be scary. I mean, people are going to be scared when they run their genetics because that's just, there's a lot of fear associated with that. And uh, it's perpetuated because most genetic reports are, are perpetuating that, even though they maybe don't even mean to. I think right. most of them don't mean to. Yeah. Um, but it's just when you see a lab, re- you know, your genetics report come back with red and it's plus plus, so that means you have a genetic variation. It's red. You're like, 
scary. Right. So we've, we've thrown that concept out the window. You know, we don't color genetic variants red anymore. Right. We still have plus plus that that's present because that's the scientific notation for a variant. But the color red means danger, fear, broken. And um, you immediately want to say, well, I want to fix that. Well, it might not even need fixing. What you need to know ultimately about a genetic variant, which is basically not commonly found in the population, as at least in terms of the amount of prevalence of not having that variation, meaning that if I have a genetic variation in my MTHFR gene, maybe only 20% of my ancestors have that, mm -hmm. right? So it's not common, right. as, as common as not having that variant. So there are common variations which affect the function of the gene in terms of what it does, its job that it does, but it's not disease directly causing. Yeah, that's mind-blowing. Yeah. And that's that, a paradigm shift. It's a major paradigm shift because what happens is the earlier you do it, the faster you can understand how you're wired. It's like, imagine if you were born into a, your car and you could never see the outside of your car, and, but you, you heard from other people. You could talk to other drivers of cars, how they're doing, and some people go in mountain roads and they cross streams and they can you know, go over big boulders and they never get stuck. And you're like, oh, that sounds fun. And you go try to do that. You get stuck instantly. And you're like, what the hell? You're having so much fun. I'm stuck in the mud. Well, you drive an old Volkswagen Beetle, you know, and they're driving this monster Hummer. But you have no idea what your genes are because no one showed them to you before. So are you a Hummer or are you a Volkswagen Beetle? Both are fine but you just have to know what terrain you should be driving in and how you should be driving. So, oh my gosh, I love that. And would you say, and we're going to dive into like some of the things that clean genes and make them dirty, but one of my big um, passions is teaching people how to find the right diet for them or find oh. the right fast because we become zealots for, I'm a vegan, I'm a keto, I'm a this, mm -hmm. and I, I don't believe the human body works like that. Right. I, I think we all have our, our perfect diet at different times. Is that because of genes? Is that because our genetics are different? Um, yes, but it's also our environment is different. Our occupations are different. Um, our nutrient uh, you know, densities are different. Our microbiomes are different. Our pregnancies, you know, are, when we were in our mother's womb, that was a different experience. Yeah. Um, so it's all together. So most genetic testing looks at genetics, boom, done. And the problem with that is it's extremely reductionist. I mean, it's reductionist to the nth degree, yeah. especially since you're looking at genetics and then you're looking at each gene in singularity. That is ex as extreme as reductionism as you get. So why would I, as a naturopathic physician who believes in holistic, you know, in the, you know, treat the individual or support the individual, not treat, support, why would I look at genetics? Because I look at how genes work together, holistically together, how genes communicate with each other and a group, like in a group of 20 even genes. That's why strategy is so complicated for a lot of people, including me. Um, yeah, and me, when you, when I got set my report, I'm like, what? So yeah. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, right now it's getting cold outside 
I eat differently. I act differently. Mm-hmm. And the sun is lower in the sky, you know, and in the summer, I'm more active. I'm moving more. I'm burning more calories. It's hot. I'm sweating. Sun is higher in the sky. My, you know, my activity level, my environment, the pollution level, the, you know, everything, my heater is on in the home now where it wasn't before. So now I have forced air that's fueled by gas. Not ideal, but there you are. Um, so furnace, gas furnace, you know, and I'm more sedentary because it's dark outside and I'm not going to, you know, anyway, so it, it changes. You're, so as you're, your environment changes, your gene expression changes. hundred percent. And your, and your demand for fuel changes. Interesting. So, you know, if you think about how you drive your car, again, car examples are used all the time and they seem kind of stupid, but they're so easy because they're relatable. You know, if you, if you're driving in traffic and you're starting and stopping all the time, you're going to wear your brakes out quicker mm-hmm. and you're going to, your fuel efficiency is going to go down because you're starting a car that has higher friction and higher mass to start moving. But if you're driving on a freeway from, you know, a hundred miles and you're like, God, why did I get 40 miles a gallon when I'm in the city? I get 15. Mm-hmm. Well, you're way more efficient. You, you got Pat, you moved off that initial friction and, and motion. You now carrying it as just easy. Now it's maintaining. If you are bumping your head against the wall mentally every day with your coworkers who drive you nuts, your boss is a punk, constantly micromanaging you. You come home to kids who you've enabled for 12 years to do everything for them. And now they're 18 and they still can't do anything. Parents, listen up. Don't enable your kids. (laughs) That's a gene problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, um, you know, and then you're stuck in traffic and you're sucking down carbon monoxide. People cut you off and you get a ticket, you know, for being on your cell phone because you're stuck in traffic. You want to be productive, you know, and then you get in a car wreck to boot. That's a bad day. Your genes have been saturated. Now compare that to a day of sitting on the beach in Kauai or Maui, mm. people bringing you fresh squeezed acai berry, guava, mangoes, whatever toots, you know, toots your horn. The ocean is warm. You're just laying in the sun, not burning. Nice, quiet breeze. Nobody around watching the birds. Your genes are at rest. They're not even working, really. They're just keeping your heart pumping and your air moving. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a different experience. So what do you eat then? And what do you have to do? I rarely take supplements when I go on vacation. Ah, interesting, because your stress levels are so significantly different. Yeah, and I will share something also, is all three of our children were conceived on vacation. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so... Does that I mean, make them j- superior? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. But, Potential you know, mothers out there or parents, listen up. Here's the secret. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it was whoops one and whoops two and whoops three, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm a very happy, uh, proud father. Um, and, uh, but it's, you know, our genes were cleaner. It was a more calm environment. You know, her, her womb was not under duress or stress and she wasn't dealing with work or travel or, or me in a negative way. It was, you know, we're relaxing together. We're in a clean environment and, and, uh, it was fun. So do genes, I always looked at them as they turn on and off. And when I read your book, I love this idea of they're clean or they're dirty. So in that example, do you, do genes 
like, do we trigger them and they get expressed or does that happen? Like, and then they get turned off. Like, yeah. are they dynamic like that? Yes. hundred percent. Not all of them. I mean, okay. you know, our hair color is set, our skin color is set, you know? Um, so these things are programmed done. So those genes did their job. And now they're from my understanding, which is really rudimentary on skin color and hair color and eye color. But those happen very early, early, early. And then when it happens, you're just, that's it. You know, that gene is not changing. It's not dynamic. It's just brown hair, hazel eyes, done. And uh, you can't change that. So, but what you can change is your neurotransmitters, you know, how they're produced, how they're, how they're eliminated, how they're transported. Um, you can change uh, your immune system. You know, you can, you can really support it and increase it. You can also really trash it and suppress it. Um, just from your mood, just from your diet, mm -hmm. just from your environment. Um, and so when you're exposed to, you know, initial formaldehyde or chemicals or alcohol, your glutathione uh, peroxidase and transferase genes might spike because there's a, a demand for it to initially increase. So you get a, you know, increase in liver enzymes, as you see in your patient. Mm -hmm. And these liver enzymes on labs are elevated because those liver enzymes have upregulated due to inflammation or trauma or some chemical environment or exposure. And you see that in, in alcoholics, you see that in people with fatty liver and you see it in diabetics. Well, those liver enzymes are elevated because those genes are working triple time and they have to produce more enzyme to deal with the total load. So you see it as a doctor all the time, but you just never tie elevated GGT to the GGT gene producing the GGT enzyme because it was upregulated, it was turned on at a faster rate in order to deal with whatever it's dealing with. Right. And you have no idea that you can control it. You're just told. Right. You're just told, oh, yeah. And, and you're told, you're told certain things, you know, you know, a holistic or functional doc or health professional will look at that and say, your GGT is elevated and, um, you know, we'll put you on some liver support or cut down on your carbs or exercise more, you know, or jump on the sauna more. They'll give you some recommendations. But they'll, they'll give these generic recommendations, but they'll fail to understand that those recommendations are reducing the burden overall of chemical exposure and reducing the burden of your liver, which is reducing the workload on GGT, which is then reducing the, the genes necessary to go to work at overtime. And so the gene levels go down. Interesting. Right? So we, we need to start understanding at a genetic level the actions that we take and the lab values that we see, like elevated homocysteine. You see high homocysteine in your patient, comes back at 30. You're like, whoa, okay, well, well, let's put you on B6, B12, and some folate. Why? Those are the genes that help recycle homocysteine. Nice. Well, all right. So somebody could take the CBC they get from their doctor, let's just say their traditional doctor, and they could take a strategy test and they could figure out how to build a lifestyle that will make sure that they are changing those traditional markers on a CBC. 100%. Yeah, yes. amazing. So what why, you do, why aren't we doing that for everybody? Yeah, it's, it's happening and it's happening. And that's what I've been doing and teaching for years. And, but it's, it's flipping conventional models of medicine and even alternative models of, med models of medicine on its head. Because if you go to a doctor for high homocysteine and conventional medicine, you know, 
they'll just monitor it maybe. Um, and cause they don't really understand it. Maybe they'll tell you to reduce your protein intake and, and that's kind of it. I um, mean, stop drinking and maybe that's it. They don't go to nutrition. They might look at anemias. They might look at, you know, folate and B12, maybe the good ones. Um, and if you go to a, a functional doc, they'll look at that and they'll prescribe, they'll prescribe a lower protein diet, um, you know, and possibly look at your kidney health and give you some nutrients and look at your anemias. But nobody, not very few people are looking at the genes that you're born with to see which genes are really playing a role in homocysteine metabolism and then which cofactors those particular enzymes need. So genes make enzymes and enzymes need nutrients in order to function, a lot of them. And then once you understand which nutrients are needed and which genes are working slower or faster, and at the same time, if a certain gene is slowed down from heavy metals or inflammation and other genes are increased from heavy metals and increased from inflammation, and you have that data and you understand that your particular gene for this is slower or faster, and then you also know that your labs, you have high homocysteine and low vitamin B2 and you're anemic, then you look at the whole picture and you're like, that makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. I'm going to yeah. reduce my inflammation. I'm going to increase my B12 and folate. And I've got the MTHFR genetic variant, which is slowed down by 70%. And I have this genetic variant in TCA1, TCN1 reduces my ability to even move B12 out of my blood into my cell. So that explains why my B12 levels are so high in my blood, but yet I'm anemic. Yeah, so, fascinating. Um, when I first learned about MTHFR, I felt like people were walking around carrying it like a badge of honor. Like, yes. oh, I, I have MTHFR, and that goes against everything I know about epigenetics is that it's not a label. We should be dynamically working with these. So explain to me a little bit of how this would tie into detox and a little bit of MTHFR and where that fits in. Yeah, so I'll hit the heavy metal detox and, and chelation first. Um, you know, my, my passion is environmental medicine. So I saw that. yeah, I, I love environmental medicine. So environmental medicine is basically looking at the environment and how it impacts you and how it, and if it impacts you, it's impacting your genes. And if it's impacting your genes, it's your genes are not able to function very well. And if the genes don't function very well, they can't do their jobs. If they can't do their jobs. You get symptoms and that impacts you. Yeah. So if you remove these exposures that we have or minimize them, because we're all going to get them, if you minimize your exposures, then your genes are able to function and your symptomatology goes down. Um, it's imagining a glass filling up with formaldehyde. And then once it starts filling, you know, filling over the edge, that's when you start getting symptoms and you start adding formaldehyde and chlorine and arsenic and so on. It's, you're going to fill it up quicker. Um, so avoidance is the first number one. Um, but glutathione genetics, it's really interesting. You know, strategy uh, DNA test has only been out for a couple months if that. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, it's, it's brand new and uh, years in the making years. It was so easy. I got to tell you, that was so easy to do. Yeah. The spitting part is easy. No, the <laughs> is a little different. <laughs> On my end, it was really easy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I came out with a tool. I, I was just talking with it on an interview today. I said, um, in the strategy tests that I've so far looked at my wife's um, and a, about five, six other people's um, their glutathione pathways are fascinating to look at mm. and they tie so much into the troubles that they've been having 
or the less troubles that they're having. Now, that does not mean that if you have a more sluggish, dirtier glutathione genes that you're destined for life to be struggling. It could be, if, unless you know and you, you do genetic tests and you find out where those problems are, um, and then you can really understand why and, and pinpoint. So, for example, my wife has a really tough time producing glutathione, mm. and then she has a diff- difficult time utilizing glutathione, and then she has a tough time recycling it, and she also makes a plethora of reactive oxygen species and hydrogen peroxide. So here she is creating a bunch of reactive oxygen species in her body, which is good for fighting infections and stimulating the immune system. But then she has a really poor ability to produce glutathione, which helps modulate the immune system and calm it down and get rid of those reactive oxygen species. And she also has a reduced ability to get rid of arsenic and formaldehyde and chlorine, which dirties all her other genes. So it makes sense that she was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis at the young age of 17. And um, it all started from a viral exposure that she had when she was a kid. She got sick, her immune system went nuts, and uh, it never calmed down. So, and then she was an athlete. She was a, a really good sprinter um, in 400 meters hurdles in Estonia. She was very, very good. But exercise at, at high level is very pro-oxidative. And her re- ability to recover from ox- from exercise is slow. So if you're exercising hard and you have a slow recovery, you better start listening to that and you better start adjusting. And if you do a genetic report in genetics and you start seeing, oh, this explains so much, you can start modifying and doing some things. So I, I did an interview with uh, Ben Greenfield years ago and I went over his genetic report and uh he creates a lot of oxidative stress. I could share this because we did it publicly already, but um, you know, there's moments where he has difficulty recovering and um, his ability to generate oxidative stress is pretty high, but I, I want to see his new strategy because there's a lot more genetic variance um, on the new one than there was on the old ones. Talk a little bit about uh, methylation. Cause I, the other interesting thing that I see emerging in the world is that people that are engaging in information like yours and mine are starting to understand the power of the mitochondria. They're starting to understand the term methylation, but it's almost like a little bit of knowledge could get is, is sometimes dangerous. And um, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on methylation as far as the body's ability to detox, where it comes into play with genetics um, and where it comes into play with our health. Yeah. So methylation. So any word that typically ends in the, in the uh, I suck at English stuff at the, what is it? The suffix, the end right. um, yep. ends in Asian, it de- defines an action, mm-hmm. right? So you have methyl and methyl is basically the simplest carbon compound in the body. It's a carbon and three hydrogen who cares. And then, but it's the action, Asian, it's methylation is the action of taking that methyl group and it will take it, it'll come off of one compound and it will jump on to another one. And so one compound will donate the methyl group and it will give it to a different one. And it, once it does that, that other compound now has a carbon on there. Who cares? And three hydrogens. Well, it changes the function, it changes the shape. And so it's a lot different. And um, so, for example, serotonin, skipping a step, methylated becomes melatonin. Right. Okay. Okay. Histamine, 
methylated becomes methylhistamine. Homocysteine, when it goes through the act of methylation, becomes methionine. Meth, you hear that? Methionine. It should be actually called methyl homocysteine. If they did it, it would have made so much more sense. The methylation cycle is, is it starts with methionine up here, goes to the body's primary methyl donor. So the, the compound in the body which gives methyl groups away the most is called SAMe. And you've heard of that as a supplement yep. probably, S-adenosyl methionine. Methionine, so there it is. And that works in conjunction with ATP and magnesium. You hear S-adenosyl, adenosyl, you know, adenosine triphosphate is ATP. Right. So there's, there's basically a, an ATP bound to a, a methylated methionine with magnesium. That's like a superpower in the methylation world. And then after that, SAMe gets used up, it becomes homocysteine. And then it, it grabs on that homocysteine gets, it receives a methyl group from methyl cobalamin, vitamin B12, in conjunction with methylfolate, which comes from the folate pathway in MTHFR. And now that homocysteine is now methylated and becomes mm. methyl homocysteine, i.e. methionine, and goes back around. And it just keeps spinning like that. It just keeps regenerating. And so the, the, the primary consumers of that pathway is to form creatine and phosphatidylcholine. Phosphatidylcholine is where all your cell membranes contain phosphatidylcholine in large numbers. You also have a lot of phosphatidylcholine in your bile for slipping through the you know, sphincter of Odie and through the bile duct and into your small intestine. Um, so phosphatidylcholine is really, really big. And creatine is really, really important for neurodevelopment, brain, spinal cord, uh, muscular uh, movement, coordination, speech. Um, so creatine is, is very, very key. And are those only supplements that you can get or is there ways to get those through diet? Oh, you definitely through diet. Your body makes them. So 70% of your, your, that pathway called methylation is used up just to make creatine and phosphatidylcholine. And you, the primary sources for those are meats, eggs, um, uh, you know, fish eggs as well, especially fish eggs. Um, and, uh, so those are great. Uh, liver is also good. Um, what if you're a vegetarian, you wouldn't, if you're a vegetarian, yeah, if you're a vegetarian, see, this is where vegetarianism, like these movies and documentaries that you see streamed, I'd love to be interviewed for that, but I would destroy their whole theory. Like um, game changers. Oh yeah. I would just destroy it. Um, and here's why. So if you are consuming um, the precursors for you know, creatine and phosphatidylcholine or even consuming them straight up and from the food that you eat, you don't have to make them, right? Mm, right. It's not even made. Right. So it's like, you know, if I come over to your house and we want to make a salad and you've got in your backyard romaine and tomatoes and all that cool stuff. And I come with a bunch of lettuce and tomatoes and onions and whatever else from the store. And you're like, why'd you even bring that? I'm growing it in my own yard, right? I had to drive to the store. I spent money. I picked it up. That was all transported. It was all farmed by somebody else and cleaned and packaged and delivered to the store. The stockist stocked it. I checked it out. I did all this work to bring you the lettuce and all the other stuff for the veggies. Meanwhile, you've already grown it in your backyard, right? Right. So vegetarians and vegans do not grow their own phosphatidylcholine and creatine in their yard. They don't. So they and have so to get an outside. They have to make it. Yeah. And if 70% of the body's methylation is used to make creatine and phosphatidylcholine, 
how much homocysteine are vegetarians and vegans creating because methylation creates homocysteine and they are having to synthesize and make a lot of creatine, a lot of phosphatidylcholine, which is producing a lot of homocysteine, which is a huge cardiovascular risk marker. It's associated with also neurological dysfunction, mood disorders, you know, autism, um, well, not autism, uh, dementia. Um, it's massive. And I cannot tell you the number of vegans and vegetarians who've been very, very ill and also had cardiovascular disease and heart attacks. They're there. I, I've yep. worked with them one-on-one, um, infertile, recurrent miscarriages, you know, and so on. Yeah. And I totally respect where they're coming from. The problem is we are not taught that 70% of our methylation is used for this stuff. And it's generating a huge amount of homocysteine. You're deficient in B12. You're not even getting enough. And um, you know, you're deficient in folate. You're a vegetarian or vegan who's consuming you know, pizzas or fast food, and you're not eating even salads. So, yeah. you know, being a vegan vegetarian is, it can be done properly. And it, it is done by pro- properly by a number of people. It's also done improperly by a lot. Right. And properly would be adding supplements in to make up for what you're not getting in your diet. I would, yes. Um, yeah, B12 especially. Um, but there are ways to increase create, um, creatine and phosphocholine and, and choline um, in a vegan diet and vegetarian diet, you just have to be very mindful of that and, and know, um, what all that is and not enough people are talking about it. Yeah. Do you know of all the guests I've had on this podcast there, it's like, they're always this vegetarian topic comes up and everybody agrees. They have a little different slant on it that the human body was not meant to be vegetarian. And there is the ethical piece and that's, you know, understandable, but uh, there's even some people who would debate with that a little bit. Um, But I I keep hearing it over and over again. Yet in our resetter group, we have so many people that want to be vegetarian and I honor that. I just don't want them to be ill. So that's why I ask, what are some of the ways that they can supplement in? I mean, I will say when I was working with clients and patients, a number of them were were vegans, vegetarians, and they were the sickest. Yeah. And I was and, the sickest when I was a vegetarian. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I tried it for, I don't know, a year or so. I don't remember exactly how long I tried, but I definitely didn't do it right. I knew nothing about nutrition. I had no clue. I was probably more of a carbitarian than I was a vegetarian. Yeah, I was too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was, I was weak. I had no muscle. I was yeah. just bad. But I, I also was on the UW rowing team. And we had vegetarians on our rowing team and they were built strong and healthy and fast runners. So, you know, A, how are their genes? And B, you know, what, what else was going on with them? Yeah. Yeah. So could a vegetarian get a strategy test to see what they need to add in nutrient wise? That would that be a simple solution if they wanted to ethically stay a vegetarian? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you would have more um, understanding of what to do and why. Um, And uh, that when you understand why first and then what you need to do and when you need to do it and all that, you your compliance goes up. And you feel more confident. If you feel more confident, you're going to take action. A lot of people, you know, health professionals get pissed off when their patients aren't compliant. Oh, they're not compliant. Well, A, did you remove fear? 
B, did you explain it really well? Did you tell them why they need to do it, how they need to do it? And did you, you know, did you explain all that? Mm-hmm. And if you haven't, well then, yeah, I'm not going to be complying either. Right. You know, yeah. jump off that cliff over there. Yeah. Uh, they they need to know the, the rule of parenting that if you want somebody to, you know, your child to do something, you gotta, you gotta have a little praise sandwich. You gotta get, build some rapport, you know, and then you can go in hard with discipline. So yeah. Yeah. Sure. Wait, tell me, let's, let's go into fasting. I want to talk about fasting and the microbiome with our genes, because again, this is fasting, especially we've got hundreds of thousands of resetters that are fasting. And I'm curious if genes will make it easier to free, for you to fast, harder for you to fast, or is fasting part of cleaning your genes up? Great question. Loaded question. Um, and a lot of that, um, I have some things to share that are useful. Other things, I have no idea. Um, so I will share what I know. And I also, I wish I had some notes down of things that I researched and I was super excited about that I don't remember what they are. Yeah. But they were phenomenally important in regards to fasting. Um, Anyway, now that I pissed you off and irritated you, I'm not going to share you <laughs> no. something that's phenomenally good. Um, no, this so, is good. Yeah, so there's supplements out there called NAD, right? What is that? Nicotinamide or riboside or whatever it's called. Um, and so niacin is one of your friends for fasting. And so when you fast, your niacin levels actually, your NAD levels actually increase. So when you exercise, your NAD levels increase. So NADH is the opposite. NADH is elevated in diabetics. It's elevated in women who have gestational diabetes, diabetics. Um, and it's elevated in people who are generally inflamed. And NADH, when NADH burns, it becomes NAD. When you eat glucose, glucose becomes NADH. Okay. So think about this for a second. You, you studied the Krebs cycle maybe back in the health professional days, or maybe you learned it in biochem years and years ago in school. But when you eat food, carbohydrate, or even some proteins, it becomes glucose. Glucose goes around, spins around, does its thing. It breaks down, and it becomes NADH. Inside the mitochondria, the first step in the mitochondria takes that NADH along with CoQ10, and it burns it. And it burns it to generate ATP. Okay. So if you have high NADH and you have sufficient CoQ10, the mitochondria can start making ATP. That's all great. Awesome. What people do not talk about is if you have too much NADH from not fasting, from eating excessively, okay. snacking all the time, overeating, not moving, you know, drinking soda, that NADH is at a high, high level. If your NADH is at a high level, your body has all that sugar. Remember, sugar makes, glucose makes NADH. So if glucose cannot become NADH, where is it going to go? Yep. It has to go somewhere. You don't puke it up. It has to go somewhere. So your body has alternative routes to deal with this. And this is not discussed enough. Because you have doctors treating diabetics by forcing more glucose out of the blood into the cell 
and the cells are screaming, they're downregulated glucose receptors is like, hey man, we're full in here. Don't give me any more glucose, we're full. But doctors are prescribing insulin to drive more glucose into the cell out of the blood. And if it's out of the blood in the cell, they're thinking, oh, everything's fine. But no, it's not fine. Now we got fatty liver anyway. So, but excessive glucose creates compounds that are extremely reactive and dangerous. That's why diabetics get, lose their eyesight. That's why they have erectile dysfunction. That's why they have heart attacks. That's why they get, you know, bruises and gangrene in their legs because they don't have any blood flow. Um, and it uses up your body's number one antioxidant called glutathione. Yep. So there's this compound called methyl glyoxal um, that is synthesized when NADH levels are too high. So when you fast, you are burning the NADH and you are then reducing that excess NADH, which then allows the glucose to funnel through normally and not go through those alternative toxic, highly reactive pathways. What about the microbiome? Do, do, uh, you know, in my research, it was like we started to understand genes through the Human Genome Project. And that was like our, uh, not understanding it to the degree you understand it. But then after that came the microbiome um, project. And it was like we had this uh, initial understanding that these two communicate with each other. Yeah. Um, but that's all we've been taught. So what do we know about like foods like sauerkraut and polyphenol foods? Like are those interacting with our genes and <laughs> causing different genes to clean yeah. up? Yeah, big time. Uh, clean up or get overwhelmed. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, it's, you know, I love Paul Saladino's work. Uh, you know, the carnivore code book. Yep, we've had um, him on here. Yeah, he's great. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came over here one day and we went wake surfing and, and uh, he brought over some raw meat, salted meat that he prepared. And I had, there was like six or seven boys, all teenagers with their shirts off, you know, all buff and oh my gosh. lifting. And then Paul walks in, you know, just ripped as hell without his <laughs> shirt. And they're like, damn. And he's eating raw meat. And they're like, what in the hell? But they, I love they, it. Yeah, they ate it, and they're like, "Wow, it's actually good." Um, so yeah, um, yeah, Paul's funny um, and smart. Hell, smart. Very smart. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, I but, bet I would have liked to be a fly on the wall of your guys' conversation. Yeah, it was fun. A lot of fun. Um, and uh, so the microbiome is fascinating, and we do not give it the respect that it deserves. And my appreciation and respect for it has grown, you know, logarithmically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and my understanding of it is like this. Yeah. Um, so I, I will just say that um, I've done some crazy things with probiotics that I never knew that was even possible and so I designed a, a probiotic based on research that actually is known to modulate histamine response, you know, the, based on the strains. And I started using it myself and I didn't think anything of it, but I used to, um, you know, if I touch dust mites or dust bunnies under the bed, um, I get red dots all over my hands. If I walk barefoot in an environment like that, I get red dots all over my feet. I had eczema. Uh, on my ankles for years, like 20 years. Um, and if I was, I pulled something out and did some spring cleaning in the house and there was dust bunnies everywhere. I'm like, Oh God, you know, I'll clean it, but I'm gonna have to go to shower after. Cause I'd just be itchy and horrible. And one day we moved into this rental 
And because uh, we were remodeling our home, I pulled the dryer out because it wasn't working and it was just disgusting. And I'm like, oh, well, here we go. And I'm going to shower after. So I cleaned everything up, filthy, dirty, clean, all done. I wasn't reacting at all. Hmm. And I was thinking, wait a minute. What? Right. This isn't right. What's changed? I literally stood there in the laundry room with the dryer pulled out. I'm covered in dust and I'm not reacting like what's changed. I've been taking this probiotic for like two weeks. That was it. That was it. And um, so, and then I, my son got a mosquito bite and uh, I happened to take the probiotic with us to Hawaii. I was like, you know what? Just for fun. I opened the capsule. I put it on a, a plate. I added a couple drops of water and I just dabbed it on the mosquito bite, took the itch oh, away. Wow. And then people wow. with runny noses, put some probiotic in their nose, chronic runny nose, gone. So it's, do you know what, what uh, strains of bacteria were in it? Um, yeah, I designed it. Um, so there's lactobac- they're all lactobacillus. Um, so there's plantarum, there's rhamnosis. Um, I, I forget the other ones offhand. But there is no lactobacillus bulgaricus. There's no lactobacillus um, fermentum. There's no histamine-producing strains. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing on foods. If you are following a low histamine diet or a low oxalate diet or a low this diet or a fasting forever, you need to understand that your microbiome are bacteria, obviously, and they need food. Mm -hmm. And if you are not eating food, you are shifting your microbiome either for the better or for the worse. Mm-hmm. And obese people have a different microbiome. People who exercise have a different microbiome. People who fast have a different microbiome. People who eat a bunch of veggies have a different microbiome. So if you are oxalate free and histamine free and dairy free and all this stuff free, the whatever microbiome that you had that was present before to help consume that stuff and process it, if you reintroduce it later, you're going to have a very unfavorable response due to those probiotics not even being there to help handle that load because they're gone. You didn't, you didn't support them. So if, if you are, if you are low oxalate and you want to try to get oxalates back, you know, first you got to get rid of the overgrowth. You got to support, you know, gut health and gallbladder health and stomach acid and all that. And then you introduce specific probiotics, which I still learning but you introduce oxalates at a low level bit by bit so that you can regrow that microbiome again. That makes sense. Do you, do you think you could take, like we do a lot of gut zoomer tests and I'm thinking now, like, could we take our gut zoomer test and a strategy? Is there any way to, to overlap that information? There is some that's useful. There's not as much as I would like. So here, here's the deal with strategy. So strategy is, it's like 23andMe or Ancestry, but more like 23andMe because it's health stuff too, even though 23andMe health stuff is worthless in my opinion. Um, so you, you spit in the tube, it comes back and you get a report and you got, I don't know, hundred genes or so that are discussed. And, but you have a raw data of thousands of genes. And so we report to you what we've researched and what we've done. And we give you that in the, in the report. Now we have other genes, which we have researched, which we have not reported to you yet. So we are going to develop a gut metabolism or a leaky gut test or, you know, a report, something along those lines. 
So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us, is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man, one of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. One of the things that we see in the alternative world is that people are like, well, I don't want to take medication, but I'll take a supplement. Mm -hmm. And they're using the same paradigm with the take the pill and, but the paradigm's broken. There needs to be a new paradigm that, that emerges. Yeah. And, and we all want easy. I mean, look, I want easy too. And I want to be able to identify which genes I have and what supplement I need to take to quote unquote, fix it. Um, but if the body was that simple as a species, we'd be off the planet. We'd be extinct already. Right. Right. So the body is inherently complicated for our own survival purposes. And we as health professionals and, you know, owners of our own bodies, um, we need to respect the complexity and understand the complexity and dive in and, and appreciate that and, and to leverage it and harness it. And if we do that, you will thrive. Mm -hmm. If you try to take shortcuts and hack your way through it, you will never reach, achieve where you want to be. And uh, right. it'll be a frustrating journey. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so in alignment with you on that. Uh, let me finish up with this. We have a, a handful of questions we'd love to ask our um, our guests. And, and one of my questions to you is, and I don't even know if there is a favorite, but what's your favorite gene? Oh, boy. I don't think everybody's asked me that before. <laughs> um, I'm going to say NOS3 for now. Okay. okay. Why? For now. Because it's so easily dirtied. It's so easily dirtied and it's so influenced by all these other genes that if your NOS3 is working, that means so many of your other genes are working well. Mm -hmm. So okay. NOS3 is the gene that is the last gene to clean as you're reading the book. And my hands are really warm right now. And that means my NOS3 is, is happy. It's, it's working well. And... I listen to my NOS3 a lot and I do it through my breathing and I, my hands. And it's one of those things 
that a lot of people are walking through every single day with cold hands and feet and the uh, feet um, and uh, mouth breathing and just being mindless about their breath. And with NOS 3, you can immediately warm up your hands, alter your breath, and experience increased perfusion of blood flow and warmth to your hands within a minute. And you've cleaned up your NOS 3 gene and you see it and you feel it. Mm. And it's, uh, it's just so hyper-responsive to your actions. Okay, I'll have to go check mine out. What, uh, what do you feel like, is, is there one lifestyle tool that will clean most genes? Yeah, a lot. Um, one is uh, well, breathing properly. Mm-hmm. You know, breathing is, it's automatic, autonomic nervous system. We take it for granted. If you focus on your breath more, that's key. Um, without air, we're dead in a few minutes, right? So right. let's remember that. Um, another one would be uh, regret. Um is really damaging. Interesting. So if you make a decision to have a party and, you know, have a donut, maybe two, maybe three, maybe step till three in the morning, and then it's 3.30 rolls around and you go to bed and you're pissed off at yourself for doing all that. Mm-hmm. And the next day you're tired and you're still pissed off that you did all that. That's not good. Mm. And um, so... I say if, if you're going to go and you're going to party and you stay up till three and you're going to have those donuts, enjoy it, love it, have yep. fun with it. And then, you know, the next day when you wake up, you're like, okay, I had fun last night. Now I'm going to clean up my jeans a little bit. Yeah. And- I love, I love that. we say that all the time. Like, you know, light being healthy doesn't mean deprivation. Right. Uh, and that's, that's amazing. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, dirty jeans is, it's, it's not, I purposely didn't call it clean jeans or, you know, pristine jeans or anything like that, because look, I make decisions that are not ideal all the time. And, um, the, the key is thankfully I know my biochemistry and my own genetics and I know where I can take shortcuts and I know where I can't, or I know where I can indulge and I know where I can't, I can't touch gluten. I just can't. I just, I'm not celiac, but I just don't do well with gluten. I don't touch it. You know, that's one thing I don't touch. Um, you know, I'll have a drink alcoholic beverage once every couple months, you know, very rare. Um, I'm tolerating better, but I still don't feel good from alcohol. So I don't, I don't go there that often because it just takes me too long to recover. Um, if I recovered better, I'd probably drink a little bit more. Um, you know, but I don't beat myself up over it when I do have a drink. That's so. fascinating. Okay. And what toxin do you think right now in our environment is damaging or dirt, dirtying, dirtying our mm-hmm. genes the most? Ooh. Um, indoor air. And a lot of indoor air is combustibles. Um, and if it's not combustible, you know, meaning it's burning like, you know, your gas furnace or your gas stove or your gas fireplace, all these things are, you know, producing significant amounts of formaldehyde. So it's whatever is in your environment that is producing the most exposure for you. So in our home, our biggest exposure is pretty darn clean in here. I mean, I got a cork floor. I have drywall that sucks in formaldehyde and breaks it down. 
I have wow. wood ceilings. Wow. Um, I have wood doors. I have all natural paints, uh, all wood furniture. I mean, my exposure in here is minimal. Um, so I would have to say that uh, our big biggest exposure is from our gas heat in our furnace because this was not a build, a new build. This building was a new build, but our okay. home um, has a gas furnace. So I would say gas, you know, okay. gas heat, gas water heating and um, gas cooking. Interesting. I would not have guessed you to say that. That's yeah. yeah. And so I've you, heard that before about indoor air that it's yeah, bad. I didn't hear it. Think of it in a genetic way. Yeah. It's Cause every time you turn on that stove or every time your heat kicks on, um, or every time you kick on that fireplace that you see it, you know, you're sitting outside at the ski resort or outside bars and you got the, in, in San Diego, you've got those heaters that you can sit outside yep. and they're warming you and you smell that gas, your bodies, your glutathione genes are at work right now. Fascinating. Right? So Fascinating. that's a big one. So take glutathione when that happens and then use the hood when you're cooking and use the hood, right? You know, the, the fan, turn it on before you ignite the stove. Ah, so you do the the fan first and then, ah, interesting. Yes. So you, okay. when you turn it on, there's a little bit of gas that comes through before it ignites and you right. probably almost always smell that and you're like, oh, it's just a little bit. It's an exposure and right. it will accumulate over time and it's depleting your glutathione over time. And now if you go outside and you're sitting in traffic or, you know, you smell formaldehyde, you know, or you take some Tylenol, these are your glutathione levels are just dropping, 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 dropping. Right. Ah, oh, fascinating. Okay. My last question, we ask everybody this, uh, if you had one message for the world that you could get into everybody's brain, what would that message be? Easy. Be grateful. Mm-hmm. I love uh, that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's look, I mean, a lot of these things I'm, I, I'm saying are, are really simple and it, they are really simple, but it's, it's hard to practice. Yeah. That's um, so true. You know, it's being grateful. We get stuck at what's wrong or what can be better. We get jealous of, you know, so-and-so's car or so-and-so can run faster than me or they're stronger than me or they're better looking than me. Um, but you have a lot of attributes that are that other people don't have. And, um, you know, so I would love you to be more grateful. If I could just teach my boys and, and model gratefulness, I've won as a parent. Oh my gosh. I love that. What a beautiful way to end this. And thank you so much. I mean, this is really a topic I have not dove into with my resetters. You have my brain really intrigued. So now I can't wait to take my strategy and dive into all your courses and your book a little bit deeper. Um, And then what I want to do is take that and figure out how to use it with our resetters. So I will report back and let you know how we implement this. Yeah. And, and, and feel free to reach out to me too. And, you know, I can help, help you out, design it. So it's a bit better. And, uh, you know, if you have a question or you did this and, you know, this really worked you can share and, or I did this and it backfired, um, you know, let me know, or I find some people, you know, who fast 16 hours thrive and, but after on day six or you know, or whatever, they're, they're really failing. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of things at play and, you know, I have a glucose metabolism pathway here, which is not in strategy, but you know, we'll, we'll get there. We're going to be making new pathways as we evolve. Vitamin D is, is being worked on right now. Vitamin D metabolism is crazy. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I would love, I mean, we have, we have so many people that fast. It would be really interesting 
to see it, the correlation between their strategy and fasting and like, could we make some changes um, going into the fast? I've, like you, again, you got my brain thinking, yeah. like, if again, we the, knew what you needed going into the fast, would it make the fast easier? That's yes. kind of a cool way to look yeah. at this. So inflammation, oxidative stress, and cofactors are going to be the biggest issues for people entering a fast. Look, a lot of people are not metabolically flexible. So uh, yeah. They, they just can't burn fat. And so yeah. they try to fast and they end up burning protein in their muscles rather than fat. Yeah. And now they get weaker and sicker and they're accumulating ammonia and so on. So yeah, it's, um, I've actually been trying to design a supplement for fat burning the first time I, and I thought I had it, I tested it and it just wanted me to go eat carbs. So I yeah. <laughs> it just made me hungry. It was like, that's not that's what no I wanted. I failed. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Try no it again. Good. Yeah, no good. Well, Dr. Lynch, thank you so much. This has been amazing. And we will definitely report back because now I feel like I got enough information that I could go and apply it to our people and see what happens. So I'll let you know. I'll keep Perfect. you posted. Excited so, to hear thank it. you. Yeah, thank you for time. And thank you for doing what you're doing because I think you are a, a lone wolf in your in your category and much yeah. needed. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it gets lonely, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's fun. Yeah, thank but, you. Hey, Resetters, I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for all your wonderful reviews and those of you that have left me comments on iTunes. I just greatly appreciate your thoughtfulness and how much you guys are enjoying these episodes. And it, and it seems like you're enjoying them as much as I am enjoying doing them. One of the things that I've learned in just interacting with so many people is that we've really lost the art of deep conversation. And for me, the Resetter Podcast stands for having meaningful conversations with people who are thinking about health, about life, about mindset in a way that we may not be getting on social media or in mainstream media. And so I just want to say, give you guys a shout out and just say thank you for participating in this process with me. Because as much as I absolutely love delivering the information to you, I love even more knowing knowing that it's impacting your life. So please let us know if there's anything we can do to make this podcast more customized to you, to make it better. We are now officially in season two, and we are working to bring you the best conversations that health influencers have, that mindset changers can give, and to really deliver you something that you're not able to get anywhere else. So from the bottom of my heart, as I always say in my YouTube, from the bottom of my heart, I am deeply deeply appreciative of you. I am deeply grateful to be on this journey with you and let's get healthy together.